is Who You Know with Dmitry Samarov. Today, I bring you a conversation with the writer and musician Wesley Heine about his uh, experiences as a supermarket clerk, a busker, uh, a taxi dispatcher, uh, and uh, about... Uh, making his way through uh, to becoming a writer and a musician after more than one false step. Um, I know you'll enjoy this conversation. I know I did. So so you were out in L.A., huh? Yeah, yeah. Me and uh, my wife, we met in Chicago at a, at a poetry reading at, at Exit. Oh, okay. And... Uh, yeah, you see, at the end of my cabbie's book, um, I uh, was crossing the Loomis Street Bridge, not far from where you stay at. Yeah. <laughs> I, was, I was finally the Chicagoan who always says, not this winter, it finally got to me. We moved to Texas for a while, and now here. Texas? Yeah. Jeez. <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> you must have been <laughs> desperate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was like a work thing, and... I don't know. Parts of Texas are pretty cool. San Antonio and Austin, of course. Yeah, I've been. Uh, yeah, I have. I have weird associations with Texas. I've only been to a couple of places there, and that's where that's where my ex-wife moved away from me. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Was to Austin, so I'll forever uh, connect that town to that. But no, it was, yeah. it was a very long time ago. <laughs> so yeah. it's ancient history. Yeah. Sure. Yeah, we're we're ramblers though. Like, uh, yeah, I'm really looking forward to um, returning to Chicago um, for a few reading dates and see everybody. Oh, cool. So, oh, so you're trying to you're, you're lining up some stuff in the fall for for when yeah, the book comes I mean, out. Yeah. For whatever reason, like ever since I left Chicago, the, my muse has been really, you know, the Ch- Twelve Chicago Cabbies book, and then mm-hmm. um, I I revisited and ramped up the. Um, busking blues uh chicago street musician book mm-hmm. and so like i mean the target audience is at least a great deal is chicagoans so the publisher yeah. thought it ideal to you know do some do some of um gigs actually at a lot of the places that you know i gigged as a musician in, yeah. in the latest book <laughs> so that's that's strange yeah so did did uh the busking blues uh did you write most of that stuff before the 12 cabbies or how yeah. did it go yeah i um i'm trying to notes. construct the, the the timeline yeah yeah i made notes like pretty much when i first got a roof over my head i right. just to like out of catharsis i made about 40 pages of notes which i'm glad i did you know mm-hmm. it was like kind of poor um you know diary like writing but yeah. it crystallized the memories. Yeah. So um, when I um, and I, I expanded into a novel last last summer and last fall. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then yeah, I read the I read the twelve cabbies one and but then you have one more, right? You, you have another book. Um, I. And, or what uh, is that? I, <laughs> yeah, I have one book of poetry. Oh, it's poetry. Okay, that, that's uh, out. I have um, several unpublished books, but uh, you know these are the ones that are are sticking. As I'm sure you know the feeling. 
<laughs> yep, yep, for sure. And what was so? What was the, your first love like growing up? Was it was it writing or music, or was it always both? Or were they always kind of fighting for or whatever? Oh yeah, it. Um, they were all jockeying for position. Yeah. Um, in my youth, um, you know, you want to experience everything in the world and all your senses. You know, whether it's reading or your ears or your eyes. I was a painter for a while too, and. Um, you know, long story short, um, in college, I kind of finally figured out that um, not only, I mean, how, I mean, I studied film in mm. Chicago, and I mean, how many times have you heard, you know, that the book is better? And it is, because <laughs> you, you internalize a writer's voice much more than you do with these other art forms, mm. you know? And they become, I joke as like my imaginary friends, and... I, I carry the their turns of phrases with me, and I, also I just kind of figured out that's where my talent actually lies. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so there you go. So when you when you first started going to school, the idea was was film. That was that was sort of the. Yeah. Well, here's my pretentious thinking at the time. You know, sure. Yeah. I was 18, and I thought I was a fucking genius. But I was Everybody's wrong. a genius at 18. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you spend the rest so, of your life finding out how dumb you are. Exactly. Yeah. How little you know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That much makes you wise. <laughs> but, um, yeah, it was, I, I played in, like, heavy metal bands. I uh, painted a great deal. I, uh, I wrote uh, a crappy book in high school. So my idea of all these things into a multimedia would make films, and I quickly sure. figured out that film is its own language, and it's not like literature, you know, unless you're going to make really pretentious voiceover. You know, it's a it's a pure cinema is a visual language, and it's all about subtext. Mm. Where you know, with literature, you can have some darlings and have fun with you know a turn of phrase, and that's the stuff that I really enjoy is you know poetic imagery with words. Yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah. It's it, it it's funny how yeah where where you start and where you finish. What what were you painting in high school? What were your paintings like? Um, a lot of um, oh yeah, I, I like the kinetic energy in your drawings. By the uh, way, I, oh I thanks. <laughs> yeah, um, a lot of um, things I did were a little um, psychedelic in nature. Uh huh. I would say like. Lots of colors, um, a lot of, um, you know, influence of uh, Alex Gray and stuff like that. Yeah. yeah. And what, so, so when you when you got into art school in in Chicago, did they make you uh, submit a portfolio or any? Did they do anything like that there? You know, they did. Um, but like I explained in the busking yeah. book, you yeah. know, I was being roped into a for-profit college. Yeah. And yeah, they had I submitted slides and all this stuff that I thought was great. And but it was basically just to like you know they were taking anybody. Uh I soon learned that a lot of students around me couldn't draw and they were just getting their tuition taken the first year for the for-profit school and mm -hmm. just the programs are just letting them flunk out, you know. Uh, yeah. I'll tell you what I'll, <laughs> I'll burst a bubble for whatever that that marketing guy was telling you is that 
the the fancy art institute really isn't that different. I mean, they right. take tuition and kind of let you do whatever you want because I went to that one. So. <laughs> yeah, I, I know. I, I wanted to bring that up. I thought you'd get a kick out of that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. It it may have some sort of prestige or what have you, and it's a different uh, it's a different business model, or and, and they attract a different kind of student maybe. But uh, the bottom line is kind of the same. Yeah. Is, is that they they will take anybody who can pay the tuition, you know? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, you're right. I, I um. I don't know. I. What? So I sh- I should have maybe jumped ship, but I was like, you know, no one's gonna teach me to be an artist. Yeah. I just want to use the equipment and make things. Yeah. You know. And, you know, maybe I shouldn't, you know, shouldn't have racked up so much debt, you know, because it. It really didn't pay off, but, um, you know, whatever. Did you meet anybody there that you kept in touch with? Oh, yeah. 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 I have lots of good friends. It's, I mean, it's all life and experience. You can't put a price on. Yeah. yeah, I mean, that's sort of, you know, on the if, if you're going to be whatever the, not the devil's advocate, but the, the opposite or whatever of one of these kind of shakedown schemes is, those connections are worth something, you know, like whether, whether it's worth the, the debt you're in, who knows, you know, who can quantify it, but, uh, it's, it's a, you know, I guess that's the, the sunny side way of of looking at it. Yeah. Is that they, they put you in contact with, with people that, you know, you, that give your life some kind of value, you know, help you in some way. Oh yeah. I mean, I, I still collaborate with some of the students there. I collaborated with uh, some of the um, professors even and making little movies. And my English professor ended up being a character in this current book. And right. you know, we still critique each other's work. And, you know, it's without his encouragement, you know, maybe the world would have been spared my hallucinations. <laughs> <laughs> so so we, we all know who to blame, I guess. <laughs> yeah, really. Yeah. And but, um, yeah, go yeah. ahead. Oh yeah, I was just saying, you know, in in the book where we're talking about, uh, you know, when I'm being roped into the Illinois Institute of Art, um, you know, my dad's like, "Oh, you got to institutionalize the artist somewhere." Ho ho ho, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. And um, and he's not too far off. I mean, again, like after high school, I mean, I had some legal problems and mm-hmm. I, was, I had a lot of emotional problems and you know it was probably a good thing you know to you know work on art and you know kind of unpack a lot of that yeah yeah i mean for for a lot of people these art schools whichever ones you end up in it's sort of like a it's where it's where you put the kids where all else fails you know they have no practical kind of drive (laughs) or a career track and you stick them you know with the other freaks and hope hope something positive comes out of it. <laughs> yeah, but the timing wasn't so great. I mean, I graduated right at the the beginning of the the Great Recession. Right. And that's where the the book, the Busking Blues book, starts to jump off. Is just yeah. You know, on, on top of all the other circumstances, you have to like enter the workforce for the mm-hmm. first time at just the worst point in recent history. So a lot of this was like recession stories, you know. Oh, absolutely, yeah. yeah. 
No, I mean I was I was driving a cab through those years in Chicago, <laughs> and we yeah. felt we felt it a, like a year or two before it was officially announced. You know because business started to drop off and like the conventions you could tell there was less tourists and stuff yeah you could tell something was happening uh and it, it definitely affected us uh for sure in that job yeah, <laughs> yeah i know yeah i am um, you know when i first graduated the first summer i i freelanced some like audiovisual parties like this, this douchey thing for bud light you know uh-huh and, and this yeah and all of a sudden it all fell away like uh there was no more money out there for entertainment stuff yeah 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 and then my resume went quickly to very um menial jobs which i'm oddly thankful for i've got a lot of material out of them yeah um at the end of the busking book you, you see it basically ends where after losing my guitar in the cab yeah, I, I do um, work for the the evil dispatch service. So, right. Uh, and was was that the one that was like out by the airport or? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I never visited that one, but I towards the end of my cab career, that that's where all the uh, calls were uh, routed through, and I knew yeah. I knew that like it was just like all the cab companies were using that that place. Yeah. Yeah, it's basically like a forty foot room, and like. Yeah, like six or seven cab companies. Mm -hmm. You know, you can really run a dispatch desk with like two, three people in a corner, you know? Yeah, uh, yeah, for sure. Well, I mean, you, you'd be amazed in what shambles it's all in now. I mean, I guess yeah. there are some cabs that still exist, but you can't, you can't order a cab. I mean, they just won't come because there just are no yeah. cabs. Nobody takes the calls. Wow. Uh, because like... Uh, I'm I'm in a, a weird spot because I don't I don't do smartphones so I I can't do Uber even if I wanted to the only way I can is is to get a friend to order me one yeah and uh, it's, it doesn't happen often but uh, every now and then I need a cab for something and you can't even order one like to go a long way to the airport or for the next day wow they just won't they they're not out there. Yeah. <laughs> It's yeah. De yeah, that business is dead, dead, dead. <laughs> wow. Yeah, I guess I'd jump ship at the right time. I, I It was probably one of my favorite jobs, though, I have to admit, yeah. despite the stress and everything, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you, you like, you, yeah, you compare it favorably in the in that, the 12 Cabbies book to the to the limo, the limo job. <laughs> yeah, I mean, <laughs> we'd come in at night. I mean, there's no dress code. Um I was lucky that I worked in the suburban market for the most part. Mm -hmm. You know, I would take calls in the city um, sometimes. But, um, you know, so I got to know the drivers a lot more because yeah. there was, uh, you know, small numbers of them. Sure. And, you know, I did try to look out for them, and I, I did get to know some of them, you know, as the book reflects. And But, yeah, it's I'm glad I didn't stick around it was a dead-end job and it was just getting worse and worse but uh you know it was just this kind of hard drinking atmosphere where me and the other dispatchers would be like all right i got my fill of humanity let's go walk around and tie one on afterwards yeah 
Well, I, I think it was your your alcoholism was probably facilitated having all that stuff uh, digitally, because in the, when I started driving a cab in the '90s in Boston, mm -hmm. there was none of that. There was no Gandalf system. Uh, it was all two-way radios. Yeah. And there was a very specific way that you had to read back everything. And you could tell the, some of those dispatchers were just getting hammered. And they would scream. They would abuse drivers over the air all the time. Yeah. It was a very different world. <laughs> yeah. And that thing so of, cool. like, favoritism and people, like, good calls not going out over the air. You could tell that that shit was happening, you know, <laughs> for sure. Yeah. Be because you just knew when certain calls would go out and who would get them yeah <laughs> yeah a lot of the old school drivers were very um not paranoid but yeah. very accusatory of that yeah. kind of stuff and i don't really blame them no. uh, the gandalf system was standard when i entered as a yeah. dispatcher so like i said in the book at that point it was a lot really automated yeah and a lot of that hanky panky stuff was mm -hmm. just eliminated by i mean my uh, boss would come in and check any accusations using the computer using mm -hmm. you know it's all all recorded the phones are all recorded yeah. all, the, all the calls i did one time uh see someone not in the company i was working for get mm -hmm. fired for favoritism where yeah. this call taker made friends with a cab driver um some somehow yeah. outside and um when a call like a good call would come in on her yeah before she would release it, she would text this dude, tell him to log into the zone, and yeah, send yeah. it to him. There, there's yeah. always workarounds. Yeah, I mean. Yeah. But she, she got fired. She got yeah. caught eventually. Well, know, she was but... being sloppy, but yeah. Yeah. I, I have no doubt that things go on. I mean, it's the kind of business that totally just encourages that kind of thing, you know? Yeah, yeah. And I, uh, I'm not making any excuses for it. I mean, I... Um, I never did any such thing because I'm too lazy and too stupid to even want to bother, <laughs> you know? Like, yeah. the last thing I want is, you know, to make friends with someone who feels like they, you know, conspiracies always go sour, you know? Yeah. I don't want to, like, and plus it's just time-consuming and unethical. I mean, get real. <laughs> yeah, and it's, yeah, it's it's nickel and dimes. I mean, like, you had the, the, the one mention of the guy that brought pizzas all the time, you know, but... <laughs> Yeah. Uh, but yeah, the bribes. You know, like how 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 much can a driver really bribe a dispatcher? Like these drivers yeah. are not. None of them are, are getting rich, despite whatever yeah. they they say or how they boast. Yeah, <laughs> and he he didn't get any special treatment because we're too lazy to do favors. At least I was. Like, you know, <laughs> I I liked that it was first come first serve. That way, you know, mm -hmm. all I could blame was the system or luck or yeah. you know the customer. You know? <laughs> yeah it's funny yeah i like i mean you know these these books that you've written are definitely up my alley because they're about businesses and parts of chicago that i know very well and the way you describe them is accurate uh to my experience at least and so i like that and yeah actually in the in the busking book that that supermarket that you work at that was, i remember when that place opened and me and my boss uh, i I was working at a Thai restaurant in Wicker Park in the late 90s, and we went there first thing in the morning because they had a ticket master, master kiosk, and we lined up there really early in the morning to get Tom Waits tickets, and we got them oh, because cool. cause we figured nobody would be going like to the ghetto to, 
to score Tom Waits tickets, and it worked out. <laughs> awesome. It was still, I think it was, it was still a Dominic's back then, but. Right, you know, I, I love some Tom Waits. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That was cool. It was Tom Waits at the Chicago Theater. It was a, it was a very cool show. Yeah, I, and yeah, what uh, did you always think that you'd be writing sort of from your experience or did earlier, did you have a more, I don't know, like you were talking about your paintings being kind of psychedelic and stuff. Did you do stuff more from out there from imagination or what have you earlier before you gained any of these life experiences? Uh, yeah, yeah. My earlier short stories had a lot of um, surrealistic slant. Um, I, uh, I still write fiction. Um, sometimes where it's it's purely characters, but there's something kind of refreshing about you know writing autobiographical stuff because life is just so much more weird than anything people make up. I mean, when I, I mean the beats obviously Kerouac's really autobiographical. I think when I first started writing all autobiographically it was a lot just to like unpack my own baggage and catharsis and and people kind of responded to it more uh-huh. and i think when i read uh henry miller and celine you know from the 30s yeah where henry miller doesn't even bother to change his name because because yeah. let's stop bullshitting like everyone knows that um you know that the writer is usually the main character but yeah. he makes up some stupid name and then he he masks everything and like henry miller just stripped it of all artifice and it's just like you know I, I love that yeah when did you first read henry miller um probably maybe around 2012 yeah so how how old would you have been? I I don't know. I don't remember oh, how. Twenty nine. Oh okay. Yeah. There. Yeah. See, I read Henry Miller. I read Tropic of Cancer in high school. Yeah. And it's funny because I I reread it like at the beginning of lockdown, like as a fifty year old. <laughs> and yeah. was amazed. I really enjoyed it, but I was amazed how much I had ripped off from him, uh, uh. because. I mean, when I was a kid, I, I had no ambitions to write at all. Uh, but re- rereading it as somebody who had published a couple of books already, it was crazy how much I had internalized. I couldn't even believe it. Yeah. Like whole phrases. Oh, wow. <laughs> and, and like it had definitely like entered the bloodstream. And it's amazing what what will influence you and how, you know? Yeah. yeah. That's, that's a good one to internalize, though. I, I think... Um... But in the same way, it was encouraging because he goes on these surrealistic flights too, you know, where yeah. he will, it would be autobiographical, but he doesn't edit out his, his musings or his spirituality or his sexuality, obviously, yeah. but also his, his dream world, you know? Yeah. yeah. So, so was that, so that, yeah, so then that would, that would have been somebody that you read after, after you were in school already then, right? Yeah, I mean, in high school, I I wrote um, a newsletter, like an unofficial one that just made trouble in the school where I was 
heavily influenced by Hunter S. Thompson, so mm. it was a lot of like just saying as much crazy shit as I could. Yeah, you know, and um, and it wasn't until college that I discovered the Beats and William Burroughs and Burkowski and yeah, you know, so autobiographical stuff or Gonzo journalism or you know reality based stuff was definitely in the bloodstream. You know, and I think reading so much poetry, I mean, poetry's always been, you know, fodder for autobiographic stuff, even, you know, before the beats and before those breakthroughs with Miller and Celine, you know, like Yeah. For whatever reason it's more accepted to be true to life with poetry. Yeah. So were you were you a good student or a bad student, would you say in high school? Um, I really burned the candle at both ends. I yeah was um, a stoner who got good grades. Oh, wow. Yeah. It was <laughs> and I was in trouble, but I was very productive. You know, I, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I was always had a blind spot for math or anything mechanical. Mm-hmm. I mean, everyone has something, but not everything. You know? Did you consider going to like a more, like a university type of place or... Was art school always going to be the, the path? Yeah, I kind of, um, I mean, it all worked out, but <laughs> I um, I wanted to, you know, just have adventures and make music and, and write. And um, honestly, when I think back, I just wanted to get out of Wisconsin. I mm-hmm. just wanted to uh, get out of you know, stop getting arrested all the time by board country cops. And, you know, I, I never got in trouble in Chicago because, you know, they have better things to do than bother some drunken poet idiot, you know? Right. So. <laughs> <laughs> so do you do you ever go back? Or, or, or your folks, do they still live in the same area? Or Yeah. Yeah, I love going back and seeing my folks and old friends and communing with nature and everything. I'm still a country boy at heart yeah yeah and yeah i don't i don't know how, how you all do it <laughs> i have a i have a friend who lives in wisconsin so i've been there a few times but i, I go stir crazy after a couple of days yeah uh, yeah i get i get I get very squirrely i need i need sidewalks and uh you know high rises and <laughs> all that con- concrete and stuff yeah. and places open past eight you know or whatever oh yeah, yeah that's that's important yeah <laughs> oh man um let's see what else did i want to know oh yeah more more about like the the kind of uh fiction non-fiction line like where where so with with the stuff like the two things that i've read the the 12 cabbies and the busking blues i mean what do you call them fiction or do you call them what do you call them for legal reasons, yes. <laughs> yeah, right. So what, like, no, th- this also interests me because I, I've had to s- start, I've I've sort of edged into fiction because I had to change names and stuff yeah. to protect the guilty and have plausible deniability and all that. Right. right. Uh, but, like, where, where where is the line? So what, what do you, do, do you change names and maybe, like, fudge timelines a little bit? Or, like, is that, because it, it reads yeah. as, it's pretty pretty autobiographical. Like it seems like you're not making much up. Yeah, you're you're correct. Um, so I think the technical term is Roman A. Clef. Yeah. Which is. Yep. <laughs> yeah. And but that's the hardest part for me, 
is making up stupid names for people. And yeah. I I get around it. I anyone who's, you know, protecting the guilty or doing hard drugs or something in the book, I'll change their name. Yeah. Anybody who there's also people that would get offended if I if they did change their name. They want to be mentioned, you know. Oh really? Like, yeah. Oh, like, like they found way. they found out that you're you're a writer and they want they want to be in your stories. <laughs> well, maybe, but just like a lot of characters in the Buskin Blues uh, book are a lot of struggling Bohemians or, who are still trying to like get their work out there, and you know they would be only too happy to have their name mentioned in a book, kind of bring the scene to life, you know. Yeah. And so I got around it because a lot of those guys, the musicians mostly, mm-hmm. they use strange uh stage names Mm. anyway so they already kind of made this not only um a uh uh, an alternative name for me to use but a whole persona that goes behind it so to answer your question like yeah it's it's based on real stuff but how real is anything i mean you know everyone's got their own view of events I, I think i got into that in the middle of the book a lot about even gritty realism is subjective it's oh yeah it's, it's confabulated my memory isn't the same as somebody else's memory and yeah you allow yourself to exaggerate especially when you're writing about something that happened 10 years ago you know yeah. right <laughs> yeah it's 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 very tricky and yeah, the thing about it is it, it's weird what what people choose to leave in and leave out. Uh, I mean, I've just read I've been I've been reviewing a bunch of books and like now the the yours is I think the third one now out of the last four that I will have written about for the reader that have to do with Chicago awesome. specifically that are Chicago set. Yeah. And it's just in, very interesting what what people choose to change and what people choose to leave accurate. <laughs> well, yeah. let's put it that way. Like wh- where the poetic license, like where it's uh, where somebody, some people's poetic licenses should definitely be revoked. I'll, I'll leave it at that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> if yeah, I was, I... if I was running that office, I would, I would put a reject stamp on <laughs> and not let them continue to practice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I am. Yeah, my stuff is true as as I remember it, and um, you know, at least these two projects. And mm-hmm. um, there are some. There's like a dream sequence at the end where I kind of compress all my fears and insecurities yeah. into this kind of climatic thing. Yeah. Um. I actually just wrote that about a month ago because I just felt it needed a, co- a climax, you know? Because mm-hmm. real life doesn't climax. It, you know, things just go on, you know? No, it's all middles. There's yeah. only one beginning and end for everybody <laughs> we, and we know what th- those are, you know? Yeah. But yeah, it's all middles. Somebody, somebody smart once told me that a long time ago <laughs> and it stuck with me that it's, you know, real life is all middle, yeah. you know? <laughs> and, and maybe I did a bit too much deus ex machina by making that a like the, the dream to be a climax but i think it, i feel it works so um, the uh, epilogue i i found interesting because even though this is only 10 years ago mm-hmm. it is almost a period piece sure yeah. 
Yeah, there's a lot of stuff that you write about that doesn't has changed a lot. Yeah, well. yeah. I mean, like that whole area around around the grocery store is very different now, for instance. And uh, yeah, uh, the the West Side is is been built up okay more slowly than developers would like probably but there's been a lot of construction in yeah. in the area where that where, where your practice space was oh wow okay and, and yeah it's yeah it's, they're they're working on stuff <laughs> bit by bit you know <laughs> wow uh, yeah I'm all this for the visit and see what else has changed and <laughs> I, I think I, I grapple with that as fair as I can in the book about how us artists are often the instruments of gentrification, even though that's not our intention, you know? Well, yeah, that's that's the classic pattern. Like, yeah. uh, artists move in and make these places nice, and then they get priced out. I mean, that's happened to me in, like, three, four neighborhoods here already. You know, I've been here a long time, so... <laughs> Yeah, man. It, yeah, it keeps happening. Uh. <laughs> yeah, I wanted to ask you too. I mean, like, because I'm I'm struggling with this too. I about you know writing about real people mm -hmm. and how how they're gonna respond to it. You know. And, <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll, I'll tell you some some of them respond very badly. I, I have I have an ex who uh, did not at all like what what. The character I made that was partially based on her in the in the bar book in in old style, and yeah. it, she took it very badly, uh, even though she didn't read the whole book. And like you know, some asshole friend of hers like read her some choice bits to rile her up, basically. Oh, and it's shitty. But yeah, the, these are things that you know writers have had to deal with since time immemorial. You know, yeah. Uh, yeah so you you have to decide how important it is to you. How important the art is to you versus how important the relationships are, and yeah. personally, I've decided. I mean, I just live for the art, and I just don't care. Uh, and I think, as as you, I think, said before about those the, the struggling musicians who all wanted to be in your book, I'd be flattered to be like a like an, a villain in somebody's book, oh, like yeah. <laughs> like somebody like made like a selfish asshole like artist you know, like character and based it on me, I'd be super flattered. Yeah. <laughs> you know? My self deprecating humor would like that too, I think. Um, so, but, yeah, uh, that's, but that's a, yeah, that's, that's a struggle. I, I think will never go away. I mean, I don't know what, what these people that get involved with writers and artists think will happen. Where do you think the material comes from? Yeah, no one thinks you're going to make it, that's all. <laughs> <laughs> right. And, and like, yeah, and it, you know, it forces you back into your cave to keep creating, you know? <laughs> I mean, yep. you got to be, there's always that balance of, like, going out and getting inspired and, you know, living in the world, but you also have to be not only extroverted in that sense, but introverted enough to be like, all right, heck with everything, I'm going to go actually make stuff now, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I've been. I mean, I've realized I'm. I'm very lucky that way. I have a, I've sort of a, a laser focus on, and I just seem to internally know when it's time to just make stuff, yeah. and I just do it. And because I think, it just feels like the only reason I have to justify, you know, to continue drawing breath, basically, is that I, yeah. I make this stuff, and a few people like it sometimes. 
but like there's not really any other reason I'm, I'm kind of a, a failure at everything else <laughs> I haven't made much money I haven't had you know I haven't had a, a relationship last in, in a while <laughs> you know yeah, man. I'm not really good for much else so I, I, I may as well just do I, I may as well do this <laughs> yeah, I feel the same way. But your stuff is good, man. I read the old style, your your, your bar book, yeah, uh, a couple <laughs> months ago. And you know, I remember the the ex you're, you're talking about. I thought you treated her sympathetically. I know? think so too. <laughs> I I could have I could have if if I wanted to make a biographical cert, uh, sketch of that person and just base it on that one person. She, that that character was a combination of women actually it wasn't just her but uh yeah i could have i could have been a lot uh less less uh, complimentary yeah <laughs> i mean i'm trying to find the humanity in, in people uh, you know the good bad and the ugly cuz i'm not trying just to like use this the platform as a weapon or a gossip rag you know well yeah that's i think that's where you have to draw the line is if you find yourself just uh using it as a way to get back at people who have wronged you yeah you know uh that then that's not right i, I i'm not i don't yeah. hold with that you know <laughs> yeah. yeah uh but I, I mean i i put myself down i pretty as much as anybody else in in my books because i just want to like i think i achieved that in busking blues where i i capture the enthusiasm but also where um, my faith and hope is fading, and I'm, I'm mad at myself, and I go back up and down, and I think I preserved that kind of flow of conscious as best yeah. I could. So, so here's here's a question then about related to that. So, in in busking blues, you sort of you avoid the ex for the most part. You just don't write about her very much. Yeah. Is that was that was that a thing you thought about a lot? Like how much of her to put in or leave out um yeah it became an issue um i was um i wrote this book called little rooms which basically goes through our entire um tumultuous relationship mm -hmm. of you know cheap rooms and bad drinks and bad food and mm -hmm. all you know and just not really taking care of ourselves yeah and um and I and the busking blues notes were just a chapter yeah. in that and and beyond. And then I looked up how many words a novel is, and I'm like, these are this is more than one book. This is several books. I'm not mm. writing War and Peace here, you know. Yeah. Like brevity is the essence of you know, you know, a, a good piece of work sometimes. So um, when the time came to write busking blues. Yeah. I just focused on me and my experience, but actually my wife is the one who encouraged me to be like, you can't just be like, I'm, you know, I left my woman, like it's a yeah blues song, you know? You can't right. just leave someone hanging. You gotta like give them some emotional depth of what was happening. Yeah. So I went back and and kind of plumbed some of the little parts of this other you know work in progress and and gingerly put in the flashbacks yeah yeah 
So do you think do you think you'll you'll go back to that at some point or and and publish it or is that a thing that stays in the drawer? <laughs> yeah, I think um that piece is pretty um it might be a great book. It might be the great book. It's but it's it's painful and dramatic and stuff. Mm-hmm. If given the opportunity, I think Little Rooms could be uh you know, it could be a great book, you know. So how how did you um, how did you find the the publishers that you've worked with so far? Like the wh- tell me about the 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 twelve cabbies people sure. first. Yeah. So that's based in that's in Germany. Yeah. It looks like. But how did that happen? Well, um, I went about publishing all backwards. I think a lot of people did this. I started, um, you know, I get like the writer's uh, almanac thing mm-hmm. and start trying to get an agent in yeah. New York and I'm sending books and excerpts and things to these big publishing houses on the East Coast yeah. and it's just you know they're not making money anymore they only want celebrity memoirs and bestsellers and cookbooks right yeah. it's and so then I started a few years ago doing like paying my dues basically I've I've written a lot of things mm-hmm. but as far as publishing goes I started getting you know, sending out poems here and there. It didn't matter where anymore. I was just yeah. sick of just sitting in the dark. And, like, you know, and I really discovered a lot of great people in the independent press, underground press, just like Burkowski and a lot of people did. Mm-hmm. You yeah. know, and, uh, um, you know, it didn't matter if they were in print or a website, you know, poems, short stories. And um, finally, I had contributed a few pieces to the guy in Germany. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, he uh, picked it up, and this is actually where you come in. <laughs> oh, yeah? <laughs> yeah. Not to be um, weird, but I had read Hack again, and I'm like, I've been writing these taxi stories on the weekends mm-hmm. during lockdown. Sure. And I'm... Um, Maybe uh, the University of Chicago will take this. Yeah. So I um, sent it to them. Uh, they were very cordial, and they actually read it. Oh, that's uh, cool. But, yeah. And, <laughs> but they ultimately passed. Uh-huh. And um, then I, um, you know, then I sent it to uh, the guy in, in Germany, and. Um, it happened, but the thing is, the University of Chicago, um, kind of in passing, as you know, feigned interest in my yeah. street musician stories. Mm-hmm. So, you know, probably just to like do the whole art school thing where you sandwich a rejection between two compliments. Uh huh. You, you know, it's like yeah. this is good. You should work on this, and this is good. You know, just yeah. to, not not to hurt the tender little artist's feelings. Yeah. And but it was enough to motivate me to be like, I'm gonna go back to those notes. Yeah. And and of being a street musician, which is probably one of the more interesting parts of my life. Yeah. And and novelize it, slow it down, give it depth and color, and still try to keep the manic day-to-day energy um, of, you know, it's pretty, like, 
you go with me. Yeah. And so, again, like, in a way, uh, I'd say you're an influence, you know. <laughs> well, I'm glad, <laughs> you know. Yeah. It, it, I'm, I'm glad to help, I guess, <laughs> or, or, or make the problem worse, as, as the case yeah. may be. <laughs> uh, <laughs> look, I... I've got I've got a whole shelf of cabbie literature. I collect them, cool. and like ninety seven percent of it is horrible. Like it's mostly self published. It's fairly illiterate. Yours will be one of the few that I I can say that I actually enjoyed. I haven't re- actually haven't read through all all these books, but it's just like a thing I collect because of my oh, many years, cool. you know, doing it, and it's sort of like a weird ego boost because. I can get one of these things and flip through and read a little bit. It's like, well, at least my book is better than this, <laughs> you <Yeah>. know. <laughs> yeah. It's it's weird that there there should there should be more more good books about that that job. It's such a strange and particular job. Yeah, yeah. No, but you 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 did you did that well, I think, and. So what what did the guy in Germany what did he publish before he published this of yours what, did he have like zines or or was He's, it always a physical ob, you know printed object thing Yeah they he does print um yeah. people in Germany are Burkowski crazy Ah uh, okay and he would do these Burkowski centric things so um I happened to throw him this or that that was you know kind of autobiographical prose poems Yeah and and he um, wanted to do more, and he published myself and a handful of other kind of, um, you know, startup things. It's, you know, his whole deal was limited runs, where yeah. it's like, I'm only going to do 100, 200, yeah. and kind of create a demand. Yeah. Um, so, you know, there's only a, so many cabbies books out there. And um, so now I'm excited, you know, in that process, I, I met a lot of people, did a, like a podcast or two and kind of, you know, met um, some writers who recommended uh, Michelle McDonald, mm-hmm. who worked with um, um, Punk Hostage Press and started uh, Gutterstab Press and and now Roadside Press that Busking Blues is, is um Mm-hmm. is under and I just heard good things about you know getting a a fair deal and you know um, you know being in it for the art you know and um, yeah yeah so 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 far it's been pretty a pretty good experience I mean I, mean, I know your book isn't out yet but so, oh yeah it's been know. great like yeah. uh, the gentleman in Germany um, it was challenging because you know we were on opposite hours. Yeah. So he would be like, I need this tomorrow. And I'm like, I'm going to bed, dude. But, <laughs> you know, but I wouldn't say that because, yeah. you know, he could put me on the back burner because he's got other projects, you know? So sure. I would stay up all night, like many nights and yeah. like be working on this thing, revising it and, and trying to like, you know, translate our each other's notes and stuff like that you know yeah it was intense well yeah i mean but i, I will say yeah nothing beats like finding somebody who's interested in what you're doing and willing getting yeah you, you can't 
put that down so somebody actually putting in the time and wanting to work yeah. with you yeah i'm not going to blow that off i've been i mean i've been writing books in the dark for 20 years now yeah yeah, yeah I, i've i mean i've got a weird uh, not exactly the same kind of experience but like definitely bass backwards in terms of publishing where the first book hack you know came out uh, on a, a major university press and everything since then has been just pulling teeth uh you know i had one meeting with a with an agent once that was like 10 years ago now uh you know uh, i had my second book published by what turned out to be a crook you know like just a straight up yeah. crook uh who ran a small press and fucked over a bunch of writers and he got sued by the more successful ones you know i didn't yeah. have the money or time to do that uh and uh since then basically i've more or less self-published uh because because i have no i have no i i'm getting old and i have a lot of stuff that i need to get out there and i figured yeah. out how to make the books myself basically you know yeah there's nothing wrong with that i feel i mean you can tell when someone's just doing a vanity project yeah but but you've got the street cred and the voice to back it up i mean like back in the old days yeah. uh like 1800s yeah basically everything was self-published yeah you, of you course know, like oscar wilde and crawley or i can't think of anybody else um and like so the, and and I'm starting to feel that way too. Like I, I like it when someone, I like collaborating with people and designing it and making the artwork and mm -hmm. and helping each other promote. But even the best deals I get, you know, you're still like, you know, chopping up a percentage of yep. <laughs> a market in a world where no one reads. You know, um, and it it would be nice to like not only design it front to back myself, but you know keep all the money you know someday. well you can yeah. you can do it it's just it's just more more hours it's a lot it's a shitload of work but it's yeah. it's possible i mean i taught myself these design programs i found printers that do a good job that aren't that won't you know rob you yeah. <laughs> and but For... yeah my big problem is promotion and distribution like i don't because I also, you know, I quit social media, so I don't have that. Uh, uh, so it's all like word of mouth, and it's like cold calling people, getting on podcasts, the things I'm willing to do. Yeah. Uh, but there's a lot that I'm just not willing to do anymore, like like Twitter or Facebook, uh, you know, yeah, Instagram. Yeah. I can't do them. Yeah, that's it's hard. Just it's... emotionally, psychologically, I can't do it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm behind the, the learning curve on the printing and design and all that. My my wife's been learning it, um, uh, trying to think of, we're going to do this press called Lapis Folly Press mm. at some point, but we're still, like, trying to, like, figure all that stuff out. Promotion, I'm with you. Like, it's painful. Like, I'm a self-deprecating Midwestern yeah. guy. Like, it took me a long time to be a shameless promoter, and you got to be. It's It sucks, but it, you got to do it. Yeah. Um, yeah, you have to find a way, even like yeah, making fun of it as you go. I always do. I mean, yeah. I I'm always kind of taking the piss out of my own kind of <laughs> shilling, you know. Like, and I'm, I I see what I'm doing and it's gross, and so I gotta make my fun of myself when I'm doing it. You know <laughs> yeah, there's I mean? a way to do that. Yeah, you can you can be funny and tongue in cheek about it. Yeah, but uh, I really appreciate 
Michelle at Roadside Press, like taking on some of that responsibility. And when you do have someone in your corner, yeah, like it, it does make you feel like you're part of a team, and it doesn't feel so, you know, me, 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 you know. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I tried. I, I have a book coming out uh, in September or October. It's, it's at the, it's at the printers now, awesome. and I, I kind of held off, and I tried. I tried querying some small presses, asked around, and it just, I didn't get anywhere again. So I'm putting it out, this one out myself, too. Uh, it's, yeah. How did, where did you find Old Style, anyways? Just out of curiosity. At, um, at a um, Skylight Books in Hollywood. Oh, sweet. That's the one place in LA that has them because I dropped them off myself personally. <laughs> yeah, that's what I did with the Cabbies book, and they're all gone. <laughs> good yeah yeah uh, they're, they're awesome that seems like a cool store yeah uh my i have a my baby brother lives out there uh, oh, lives okay. in it. that's what that's that's why i stopped by there uh but that was yeah that was through a fr- like i have a friend that runs a press in la and he he recommended that place and they got back to me so i didn't you yeah. know i at least had some sort of introduction any any kind of connection like that helps, but that seemed like a cool store. Yeah, they're real supportive. Yeah, well, you know how I how I discovered you. How's that? You know, um, you know, it wasn't you know uh, the internet or nothing. It was at the dispatch office. They had the trade magazine called the dispatch. Yeah, the Chicago yeah. Dispatcher. Yeah. Yeah, and you know I was doing like overtime on the night shift and. Mm-hmm. You know this this little anonymous looking rag has like, you know, lawyers for cab drivers and car yeah. accidents and medallions for sale and stuff. Mm-hmm. And I found some of your stories in the back, and I'm like, these are hilarious. Yeah. You know. <laughs> That's funny. The, that guy that ran that thing, he ended up buying a bunch of my paintings, like for okay. his office. Like when he was still, I, I don't, I don't think he's in business anymore. I I don't know if he is or not, but yeah, he had a bunch of for. He moved offices. He used to be based right at uh, Belmont and Western, where American United was, in that in a building that's now no longer there. Uh, as so many. That's places. where the blue light was, right? Yep. In your store. Blue light I, is is uh, is one block up from there. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, I, I was there once. Yeah. Oh, at the blue light. Yeah. The blue light still exists. It's now on like a new owner, but it's like a standard. It looks like a any average kind of like yuppie meathead bar, you know, flat screens yeah. and stuff. Oh, shit. Uh, you know, exposed brick walls. Uh, I didn't even. I I just looked into the from the out outside. Uh, not the same place that I described or worked at. <laughs> <laughs> Probably all for the best. But uh, there was a building uh, at the corner of Clybourne and, and Belmont, and it was like came to a point, and there was a like an all night diner on the ground floor called the Point Diner, and uh, American United. Uh, Taxi Association was based there, and Chicago Dispatcher had its office there. But then that building got demolished, and he moved to Humboldt Park for a while. And uh, I, I'm sure he doesn't exist anymore because that business doesn't exist anymore. You know? Oh wow. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, he yeah he would run because I had a before before it even became a book. It was a it was a blog and a zine hack you know yeah so he was yeah he was reprinting stuff every now and then for me uh the funny thing is like people would ask me <clears throat> if you know 
what other cabbies thought of or whatever, but I never found out because I wasn't friends with any cabbies. Yeah. Like, by the time I was driving in, in Chicago, like, I, I, it was, it was pretty much solely a job to me. I had other shit to do. I had all my, I had my art to do. I, you know, I, it was just solely to make money. I wasn't there to make friends. You know what I mean? Yeah. In the cab. <laughs> so I didn't, I, I knew very few cab drivers. <laughs> so I had no idea what they thought of my writing, if they thought anything of it, you know? Yeah. They probably wouldn't care. <laughs> no, no. They had other, I mean, they're from all over the world. They had families to support. They're working crazy hours, you know? Yeah. Uh... They, they didn't care about what, what cab driving was being represented as in some book or whatever no, just trying to make it, just trying to survive yeah. absolutely yeah. and then yeah you said I, I don't remember you said we met at a at a, the Nelson Algren yeah. documentary screening yeah it kind of uh, ties into you know um, when Hack came out um, I got it at afterwards mm-hmm. in Chicago yeah and I was still working at the cab company and um, yeah uh, Mark Blotner He's yeah. one of the filmmakers that made that Nelson Algren. Um, he made he made one of the two. He made the better of the two, I think. But yeah, because there's another one that came out before his. But yeah, that the one that Mark Blotner did was the better one, I think. Yeah, I, I think so too. He um he's working on a blurb for for Busking Blues right now for me. I'm oh, nice. About. Yeah, but yeah, we met there at the Siskel Center. Um, yeah, yeah, I um, I recognized you from uh, the article that you were in the reader, and um, so I, I went up to you and I was all excited to give you this this antidote uh, about when I was reading Hack. I was on a night shift, and um, I using the Gandalf system, we had a, a GPS tracker. Uh huh. You know that like you know we can make sure that. A driver actually went to the address before sure, yeah. they canceled the order, and and I'm like, does Dimitri still work here? So I typed in your name, and mm-hmm. so I'm sitting there reading your book and watching you, you know, drive through the grid. Oh, funny. Yeah. So I I found this really amusing. So when I bump into you, in hindsight, this is really big brother shit, and probably <laughs> was not as amusing to you. <laughs> That's weird. I, I do not remember that. I wonder why that is. Yeah, I've, I've, <laughs> blocked it out. Yes, yeah. It was so traumatic and so, and so disturbing to me. I had to block it out. <laughs> no. My, my wife is like, maybe like, he's, uh, you know, maybe you're one of his first fans. You know. <laughs> and like, no, you know, I I have yeah I, I have every now and then again I'll I'll get a very flattering like fan letter or something or somebody oh. will come up and it's no i i never i never ever take shit like that for granted you can't you know yeah if, if you've impacted like a, a single other person with something you wrote or painted uh yeah you, you can't i i can't take that for granted <laughs> at all yeah. uh i yeah i don't know i don't know why I, I don't remember that that's strange but i have a i have a sketch of them doing the Q and A from that night at the at the Cisco. Oh, cool. Yeah, uh, of uh, Mark Blotner and his his co-producer or co-director. 
There was another guy. There was a second guy. I forget his name. Yeah. He's roommates, uh, Mark Blotner's roommates with um, uh, my professor, um, Mike Markowski. Oh, really? So, um, yeah. I made a couple movies with him in college. He was really um, a good friend of mine. And uh, he's Mr. Blue in the busking book. If, oh, okay. If it ain't obvious, yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> um, that's cool. So how how did you guys end up in L.A.? Was it also just job-related? Is it like your wife's job, maybe? Or, or did you find a job out there? Well, yeah, we're uh, restless spirits, I think. We, uh, you know, we're young. We don't have any kids. We can go wherever we want. And I think... I miss Chicago. All my friends and my memories are there. Uh-huh. But I, uh, moving to Texas was job-related, and just that was kind of for me because I was kind of about to have a nervous breakdown with the winter and just mm. you know drinking too much, and that limo job was yeah was pretty horrible. <laughs> and, yeah. Um, um, and then moving to uh, California was more for her. She's got friends and just likes the whole vibe. And, yeah. And I like it here too. I mean, I'm a few blocks away from where Burkowski lived in the 60s and 70s, and Hollywood is still very much a, a jumble of, you know, beauty and, you know, lost humanity, you know. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, you get to live out your, your, Bukowski dreams. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I hope not too much. I'm I'm trying to go beyond that, but there's definitely um, that world still definitely exists. There's still like characters at night here, you know, that has come out of the woodwork. Like everyone ends up in L.A. It's the end of the road for a lot of people. I guess so. I mean, I've I've been out there a few times. I've never I've never really found thing there my 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 ex-wife ended up there for a while uh she lived downtown in dtla do you know where the you know where the last bookstore is yeah yeah. the the one that's in the former bank i i did a reading there but she i went through on one my one and only ill-fated west coast uh, book tour for the for the cursed second book but uh (laughs) i i got to read at the last bookstore which was kind of cool and she lived right around the corner so we get to, we got to hang out a little bit, which is nice. Yeah, yeah. Downtown LA is still like it's still like a, a grimy kind of city. Like it's the only uh, part of LA that feels like a city to me. Yeah. I mean, you know. Yeah, I mean, Chica- the Loop in Chicago and most cities I've been to are kind of beautified. Yeah. You know, like in in downtown LA, there's skid row there's there's needles in the gutter i mean yeah it's like a bad 80s movie you know but then around the corner is some fancy like food court <laughs> like yeah. like there's these like really like really up upper tier you know foodie kind of places down there yeah. too yeah so, it's all layers mm-hmm. yeah i don't know i mean i went to san francisco for a reading so only reading i've done since lockdown is in san francisco weirdly enough because I have a friend, a friend who works at a bookstore there, so I made a connection. But I mean, San Francisco is like full-on like dark ages. It's like just every sidewalk filled with The Walking Dead, basically uh, these opioid addicts and uh, unhoused homeless, you know. And but above them are all these 
empty multi-million dollar units waiting for these uh, tech bros to move in and they're not moving in there anymore, <laughs> you know, because they don't need to because they figured out during lockdown they can do their job from home, you know, yeah. uh, from wherever. Like they don't need to be in San Francisco to be in the in the tech sector. You know? Yeah. So it's, it's gotten real in. like stark. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that kind of class warfare for lack of a better term is just everywhere yeah, mm-hmm. I guess yes I mean California has that weird you have this illusion they survive more on the street because because of the temperate weather you know they yeah. last longer than they might in Chicago say yeah but yeah, yeah all that stuff has gotten worse and worse and worse it seems like in the last decade or so yeah, for sure. I mean, yeah, the homeless in Chicago are like a different breed. Like, you know, they, you know, anyone who sticks around in the winter and, and makes it shelters and stuff, mm-hmm. you know, here in L.A., it's just open season. Like, everyone's like half crazy and like wearing weird costumes and mm. like, you know, looking for aliens. And it's it's like a whole different breed of, of um people living on on the curb man it's sad but it's strange so, so so what are you doing what are you doing out there for work these days well i've you know kind of uh i've conned my way into the insurance business oh you know when <laughs> i when i uh, when the recession hit i became a delivery boy you uh-huh. know and i wore my car out and they gave me a break, you know, when I was coming back from the plasma clinic, actually gave mm-hmm. me a call and it was like, you want to take calls and, you know, maybe do some dispatching at the, at the, the food service. Mm. So, you know, I was living on tips and driving my balls off and yeah. stuff like that. And, and then I got my first kind of customer service dispatch gig and that didn't last but it gave me enough experience to work at the cab company later mm-hmm. and then i uh took calls at state farm in oh, okay. texas and kind of um worked my way into um doing the actual like um claim adjustment and stuff like that now i'm doing medical claims which is a much better fit where i'm investigating people who are you know injured or sick or I, I talk to them and I get their insurance in line and get their medical records in line and you know wow yeah real double indemnity kind of stuff really. <laughs> <laughs> so do you, have, <laughs> you meet up some scammers that want want to cut you in for a piece <laughs> no. of the action it's, it's it all sounds like material for a future book yeah you never know usually it just stays for about 10 years and then i come up with something i, I want to do some kind of las raymond chandler <laughs> double indemnity thing yeah you're i mean you're not only in bukowski land but you're in chandler land and john fonte land and like yeah, fonte, yeah. <laughs> there's all, all kinds you know who's and, cool, who you should look up though is did you ever read uh John Fonte's son, Dan Fonte. No. He no. was a he was a limo driver and a junkie, and he he wrote some really good books about oh, that experience. 
Wow, what was his first name again? Dan, Dan Fonte. Dan, okay. And he also wrote a book called Fonte, which is a memoir about basically what a what an asshole his dad was and what a nightmare he was <laughs> it was yeah. to be his son, you know, and yeah. what it's like to live in the shadow of somebody like that trying to be a writer, you know. Yeah, but, yeah. He just died a few years ago, uh, Dan Fonte. But those are books uh, well well worth checking out. Yeah, He's I'll got like six out. six seven books, I think. Yeah, I think these kind of jobs, like you driving the cab, or you know him driving the limo, or mm-hmm. you know, it. And 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 my experiences, you know, being on the phone talking with customers, you know, it forces you to get stories and and rub elbows with humanity i i think in the in the busking blues book i i kind of make it clear that you know before that you know i'm basically a, a country boy who yeah you know kind of like just wanted to keep to himself and yeah know, work on his art and it really forced me to like go out in the street and and hustle and smile and and try to like make connections with people out of necessity, you know, to yeah. play music and and uh, know, these jobs really do generate stories and you know. Yeah. yeah, I think I mean a lot of service industry and those these kinds of jobs force you out of comfort zones and it it makes you interact with people that you would never talk to otherwise. Yeah. The the supermarket too, really. Like oh, I could, yeah. you know, like you could have probably done a whole book on that supermarket. You yeah. Know? Yeah, that's a good part of the book where I'm really, you know, I'm entering the workforce and I'm really learning things I probably should have learned years ago, you know, working with people face to face, Uh you know, um, customers, like I said in the book, like we were at a weird nexus right between the projects and all the condos popping up in Old Town. Yeah. So it'd be this like schizophrenic change of like, you know dealing with you know um snooty rich people and angry poor people and you know, yeah trying to see the humanity and everybody you know i actually my my first job back in chicago when i moved back here in 97 after going to boston for a few years uh but my first job back was at uh pearl art and craft which is on the other side oh, yeah. of cabrini on on chicago and half of my coworkers were like you know ex-art students like me and the other half was uh ladies from cabrini green you know yeah so so definitely familiar with with that aspect but also i mean as a cab driver i was in cabrini a lot Yeah. (laughs) yeah yeah i like um i think chicago and those kind of jobs and you know kicked a lot of my art school pretense out of me Mm-hmm. You know, just having to like learn how to survive, you know, yeah. and just meeting people that have been around the block a few more times than I have, and they smell bullshit a mile away. You yeah. Know, and, yeah. No, it's 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 really valuable. I I don't I sort of this happens more and more I guess as you age, but like you you think back to young people, and like you know like kids going to art school expected, and this idea that they could be artists at that point and like what what will you make art out of you you haven't lived you know yeah. like you have nothing to make art out of no matter how whatever your natural talents are or if you're 
precocious at this or that. You have nothing to say because you haven't lived, you know? Yeah. I I was, uh, yeah, I was, I got invited uh, at some point to uh, sort of like, I was on a panel at Columbia College and then I had to re like meet with senior, uh, you know, undergrad writing students and like critique their writing. And I was, oh, just, I was just, I was just horrified. <laughs> like, at where the, some of them were at, you know, it was all, <laughs> it was all kind of like fantasy based oh. and they could barely write a sentence. And like, these were like, they had been writing for a while and it was, it was kind of incredibly discouraging. Like, and they wanted advice or whatever. And like, I mean, all you where can tell begin? them, <laughs> go, yeah, go, go live some life, go, go, you know, Go get punched in the face by by the world a few times, and then, yeah. then you'll have something to write about. You know. Yeah. I, yeah. I don't know. I, I hate to be the you know a cliche that way, but I, I don't know. I don't. I've never had an imagination. Like we we were talking earlier about fictionalizing stuff. I never understood why you had to make anything up, until I realized that there was people that would get angry about things I wrote. So then I had to change some names. Yeah. I've, I've never invented anything. I don't know. I don't know why you would. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they say, I mean, the trick is with even with pure fiction is that even that is, comes out of some autobiographical impulse. I just wrote, the, wrote this Western and it comes out of this, it comes out of all these different subconscious feelings and the, the cowboy is, has, inadequacy things that he's covering up and I mean it's it's fiction because I changed the setting and I changed um, what are your, is it in like in cowboy days is it like in the 19th yeah. century or yeah I visited okay. a, this painter friend called Daniel Stein he lives out in New Mexico and mm -hmm. so I made up a story I'm still like using feelings that are in my gut you know but it's you just change the setting and you know it's it's horses instead of hat instead of cars, you know. I don't know, but <laughs> does does the cowboy suddenly go go out on the corner of the town and start singing a blues song? Or <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, you should. I'm gonna change it now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. Yeah, I, I've yeah, I've never I've never gone that far out. You know. In, in, terms of changing settings or anything because i mean yeah for me also setting is at least like half of the whole thing oh, yeah. you know like it has to be like that's why i appreciate like in your in the, the writings of yours that i've read is that you you get you get chicago right in a way that a lot of oh, people do you. not that's a, big, that's a big compliment thank you no you do there's as my favorite parts because i know like when you're traversing the city and talking about being on this L train or describing this street, I know which street you're talking about because I've been on those streets. <laughs> yeah. And I, I know when people get it wrong and then I wonder. That's <laughs> that's always a thing like in TV shows set in Chicago yeah. when they screw up the geography and I always wonder why. Like, why are you doing that? I understand not using actual addresses, you know. That may be like for legal reasons and stuff, you got to fudge it, but like where you got a north south street and it's it's got a number on it that doesn't coincide with the grid at all you know like why yeah. 
why fuck why f- you know like they get in a car and get out like somewhere like way half way across town you know after going a block <laughs> yeah like it's a really cool looking city like why not use it you know what i mean right it'll do so like, much of the work for you <laughs> you know like in terms of atmosphere and everything yeah it is a character in yeah. itself yeah yeah well cool so so you you think you think you're gonna you you guys are gonna stick in LA? Your your wife has found a job as well, or what's she up to? Is she yeah, a writer we as well? To, yeah, she's a really talented uh, poetry mostly. Yeah. Oh, okay. And um, yeah, we don't know. Um, we we do miss Chicago. We're gonna go back. And I'm gonna do a couple of readings at like a college radio and um, the Gallery Cabaret. Yeah, kind of. Uh, I'm doing a reading there, and then a couple bands are going to play afterwards. So that's going to be surreal because large back to the, the back to back to the scene of the crime, huh? <laughs> yeah, like there's there's chapters in the book that take place there, so it'll be mm-hmm. this kind of universe in a universe thing. Yeah, that's fun. Uh, I mean, yeah, I I I didn't log up much much time at that place, but I've definitely been there. I've been on that stage. There was a friend of mine. Uh, and his then girlfriend were running a thing where uh, they had this show called I think it was called like This Belongs in a Museum or something, and it was people would just bring in a, an object and tell a story about it, <laughs> like something that meant something to them, like as if it was like a, a museum artifact. It was, it was kind of fun. Yeah, yeah. That, that place is crazy. Yeah, that's great. What what when will that be? Do you know yet or? Uh, that's going to be Halloween weekend, uh, Friday, October 28th. Oh, cool. Yeah. Oh, cool. The, it, actually, it will sync up because, uh, well, this, I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to post this uh, in October. Oh, perfect. <laughs> this talk. I mean, the, yeah. the, the article I'm, I'm working on will, will be on, uh, up before then, I think in September. I don't know oh, the exact cool. date yet, but. Yeah, I was kind of curious. I figured this would be both for questions for the article, but also for the podcast. Yeah, it's for the podcast. The whole thing will just, yeah, run as the podcast. Uh, that works. Yeah, that's... Do you that... want me to do, uh, like, read any excerpts or uh, more questions? Mm, no, I, I haven't, you know, I don't think so. Uh, we'll, 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 make, we'll make the home audience go and buy the book or go, go, go. go, to, go to one of the readings. <laughs> I did I did an interesting thing just recently. I, I had a uh, I had a cassette published of excerpts, me reading excerpts from this forthcoming book. Uh, this guy in Kansas started a like a cassette label and a band camp for uh, poetry and stories, and he, he put out a cassette of, of of me reading from this uh, forthcoming book. Awesome. So there's all yeah there's all these weird new avenues you know to get stuff out there. Um, yeah, I'll check that out. Dude, I, I love cassettes. It's the only thing that works in our car. So we. Oh, got... you ha- you have a cassette player in your car? Wow. Yeah, it's the only thing that still works. So we started collecting <laughs> tapes again. Yeah. Uh, man, I had to. I because like the, the weird recent rebirth of cassettes. Like punk bands have cassettes now a lot, and then I had to go on eBay and find a, a cassette deck for my stereo that that would work. Oh, they're hard to find. Yeah, yeah. They, they break down a lot. Uh, I guess I, I, 
yeah, I had to do research because I got I ordered one and it didn't work, and I had to get another one. I guess the belts wear out and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> well, I got a Jimi Hendrix tape from 1996 that still works. Wow. You know, it's like they're a good medium. I don't know. I mean, see, the funny, what's so funny to me is like the stuff that comes back. Like cassettes are from like my childhood. Like. I used to buy records and then dub them onto cassette and sell the records yeah. back and buy more records, you know, like... Yeah, uh, like but... in Wisconsin, we're like always like 10 years behind culturally. So in the <laughs> 90s, I, I I would do that all the time. Like, yeah. I would I'd make mixtapes. You know? Yep. I have a whole stack of them. Like, they're, they're sort of like a sculpture in my place. I'm looking at them right now. The awesome. things I taped either off records or just off uh, FM radio, you know? Yeah, I do that too. <laughs> I like I borrow people's CDs and like dub it onto a tape and be like, all right, I don't have to buy any more CDs. That's amazing that your car has a working cassette deck. That's... Yeah, that's a good deal. <laughs> well, cool. This is yeah. I think I think I've I think I've kept you long enough. Uh, thanks so much for for making the time and uh, thank you for sending me that that cab book. Uh, it's definitely uh, warms my heart that any anybody is familiar with that experience. Speaking of like uh, something that's totally like a period piece, because like people don't even know how to hail a cab anymore. They don't know what a cab <laughs> is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? Wow. Yeah. yeah. It, it's true. It's true. Well, it's gone the way of like kerosene lamps, basically. <laughs> yeah. So now it's being romanticized whether it should or shouldn't be <laughs> no it should not be and i mean my whole my whole thing about it is that they they need to start calling these ride chairs cabs because that's what they are yeah, right. uh and they're they're morphing into cabs they have top lights now and the, these companies are like you know uh leasing cars to immigrants at really shitty rates so they're doing all the shit that cabs did just with an app instead of a two-way you know, yeah. dispatching system. It's the same. It's all the same shit. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we saw the writing on the wall when the cab industry was going down. I mean, all the drivers were saying, you know, yeah. and I wrote a memo, you know, just kind of fishing for a raise, really, yeah. which I never got. Yeah. Because um, it was dying and, you know, the, uh, a memo about, you know, cabs need to adapt and, and, yeah. uh, and get with the the digital app realm yeah. otherwise they're gonna die and they didn't want to invest in it yeah yeah i was i was writing those i was writing op-eds i was i would write like like new city would publish stuff i wrote like ranting about how the cab industry was going to die if they didn't change you yeah. know like and they didn't all they needed to do was make an app you know and they didn't until years later you know and then now they're yeah. dead that's all that's all they needed to do was like realize that their monopoly was done you know <laughs> they needed a change with the times and uh they didn't yeah, that, man. that's what happened what's your new book gonna be called it's called uh paint by numbers oh, okay and it's it's sort of about my adventures in the art world and with the monsters who live in the art world <laughs> <laughs> and it's it's definitely definitely based on real shit <laughs> yeah but it's it's the most fictionalized things I've uh, things I've I've written, for sure because because these people I'm writing about are, would not be thrilled. 
you know, if they're, yeah, in that they're world, being written about. They're all about prestige and clout and stuff. And and and, yeah. and egos that cannot be contained in like a yeah. room, <laughs> you know, <laughs> outsized ego. This is the problem about making art is that you do this stuff on your own and you basically, you know, you're playing God all day. And then yeah. you've got to go and interact with people and you, you got to... <laughs> You know, you got to burst your own balloon a lot of times and remember that, like, the world does not is not there waiting to just meet, you know, for your whims and desires, and does not yeah. does not think you're a genius. You're just another <laughs> asshole, and you got to, you know, wash your own clothes and do your own dishes, not yeah. be a dick. And that's really hard for artists a lot of times. <laughs> you know? yeah, true. Yeah, but there's a lot of people out there that they they know the truth when they hear it, and. <laughs> I, I think you know your work reflects that and i'm really glad that um you know you took an interest in this project and you know it really uh, means a lot to me no no i i wouldn't have i mean I, if i did i started reading it if if it wasn't going to grab me i wasn't i wouldn't have i wouldn't have written back to you you know yeah <laughs> believe me at this point i get i get sent some some weird weird ass shit you know? yeah. because this I mean this is what happens when you write reviews of things or you've written a couple of things that people have read they they make connections in their minds you know and, like we all do this yeah. and all you can do is ask but uh, I, I'm not obligated to answer you know what I mean yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah it's 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 interesting stuff and uh, yeah I, there I, I learned some stuff like I don't know anything about the, the whole busking world aside from being a a listener you know or passers-by so that was yeah. interesting stuff i've actually never worked at a grocery store either i like some of the kind of in, inner workings of that as well oh cool yeah yeah well if you have any other questions you know email me or yeah yeah i'll i'll, I'll let you know and uh yeah I'll, I'll let you know when if when i know when this article is coming up it yeah, should be in september so. i think it's in september sometime awesome. yeah Sweet. Yeah, well, I've really enjoyed talking with you, man. Um, I hopefully I, I see you when we visit Chicago. We'll grab a beer or something. Yeah, drop me a line. We'll we'll, we'll get together. All right. Thanks, man. Yeah. Thanks, Dimitri. Talk to you later. Bye.